0: Well, let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. And we're going to go ahead and jump right on into it this morning. Verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant, whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Now, if you've been tracking along with, you know, with us thus far through Genesis, you know that we have, uh, for the past few weeks, been uh, looking at the life of Abram and seeing his journey of faith. And Abram wasn't alone in this. He was blessed with his wife being with him. And through thick and thin, his wife Sarai has been by his side. Through times of faith and in times of doubt, they have journeyed on a course that we've been studying about. It's a course that the Lord has given them together. And here in verses 1 and 2, we see where Sarai had become discouraged. Um, She has not been able to give Abram children, and, and this is a burden on her heart that was really heavy on her. But the one thing we know, because we can jump ahead in the scriptures and find it out if we want, but the one thing we know is that God indeed did give Sarai a child with her husband, Abram. And of course, as we read verses 1 and 2 here, if Sarai just would have been able to know the future, she would have not been discouraged like we see her here at this point in time. But of course, she didn't know the future. And we who are called today to walk by faith and not by sight, well, we don't know the future either, right? But knowing the future actually eliminates walking by faith. If we know how everything is going to be, we don't need faith, right? Who needs faith if the outcome of our lives are known in advance? You see, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. If you really meditate on that, it's the substance of things hoped for. So it's almost as if it's saying it's a material. It's in your possession in a sense, but it's not here. It's the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. That's kind of twisted in our carnal minds, isn't it? It's kind of doesn't make sense at the way we look at life on a daily basis if we just live according to our carnal mind. But that's what faith is, the evidence of things not seen. So seeing is not believing, not true believing anyway. Seeing is not faith. But yet we grow up in a world where we're told that seeing is believing, right? Not seeing and still believing is what faith really is. But what God has promised, he will perform for all to see, but this doesn't always happen in the timing that we would like for it to happen in, right? We've also grown up, all of us here, in a microwave society, right? We can have things real quick. We can have things when we want them and we want them now at our fingertips. The world is at our fingertips now through the internet, right? So what happens is, is it's easy for us to lose faith, to become discouraged because of the timing of things, right? And this is what is happening here in the life of Sarai, here in chapter 16 of Genesis. And we have this history in our Bibles. We have this story in our Bibles for us to learn from today. And we must take heed what God is showing us in His Word. And we must be encouraged that He does have a plan, right? But He is God, and He works in a way that is not always our ways. And He sees things that we don't see. He does know the future. So He does know what's ahead for us, right? And as we studied last week, the Lord God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And I exhorted everyone last week that to, to walk by faith, right? We must keep walking by faith, keep seeking the Lord. Faith is a, a lifelong journey for the person that has come to Jesus Christ. It's a journey on which we cannot allow ourselves to get distracted from walking by faith. We all have been discouraged in our walks of faith and in this life, right? Right? And we will get discouraged again. It's just the way of this world, right? From time to time. But what do we do? We keep walking by faith, right? So, but instead of doing that, what we see here and what we can learn from this story here is that Sarai or Sarah, I'll interchange her name, I'm sure, as we go along, but she devised her own plan. She did it her way. And her husband rather than refuting it, he went along with it. Much like Sarai went along with Abram's lack of faith when Abram made the plan to say, hey, say you're my sister when we go to Egypt during this time of famine, say you're my sister. Well, Sarai went along with that, right? And for those of us that are married here in Christ, two are better than one when it comes to being determined to stay on the course of faith. We can exhort one another. We can encourage one another. If a wife is getting discouraged or distracted, then the husband can encourage and exhort her or vice versa, right? For example, Abram here could have said, honey, let's not forget the faithfulness of the Lord. He could have said, God has always provided for us. Let's not make our own way. Instead, let's just keep trusting in God. And Sarai could have said the same thing when the famine hit, right? And they went down to Egypt and they devised that plan or Abram devised that plan. She could have said the same thing. She could have encouraged him in the way. And making our own plans without seeking the Lord is never the right way to go. Not if we're followers of Christ, believers in the word of God, making our own plans without seeking the Lord is never the right way to go. But nonetheless, verse three continues and says, then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So it appears that maybe when this famine hit, this, that famine we were talking about back when they went to Egypt, back in Genesis chapter 12, we looked at that. And they left Egypt wealthier than when they went in. It may have been during that time that Sarai acquired this maid, this Egyptian woman, Hagar. Okay, Let's just look back there at verse uh, chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 16. So this is when um, Abram and Sarah had Abram and Sarai had went down to Egypt during the famine, and that whole story was concocted by Abram and all that. And then Pharaoh said, okay, hey, I know the story here, and I'll get out of here. But speaking of Pharaoh, in verse 16, it says that he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants. That's why I want to point out here, female donkeys and candles. So one of those female servants acquired from Egypt by Abram here was most likely Hagar, and she became Sarai's maid, right? But again, as we look back at Genesis chapter 16, Abram and Sarai have now been in the land of Canaan 10 years, we're told. And they've seen, we've studied it, they've seen the faithful hand of the Lord through it all. You see, as I sit before you week after week and teach, right, I will constantly remind you not to divert off of the course of faith. That'll be like I'm a broken record on that. I I keep using that term broken record and I realize... Most people don't know what records are, right? I'm a skipping CD or a bad MP3 or whatever it is, right? Today, right? But I will be that as it pertains to staying in the course of faith and keep walking by faith because that's really what we're called to and that's what our lives as Christians are, is all about. Don't give in to this world, don't give in to the desires of your flesh. Don't give in to thinking that you have to make something happen on your own. Don't give in to the desire to have what you want when you want it. Instead, just continue to wait on the Lord and know that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So continue to seek Him. Continue to seek Him first as a priority above all else. And all of this, to do all of this, requires that we must walk by faith and not by sight. And we must remain obedient to the word of the Lord. We must understand the word of the Lord, study the word of the Lord, and see what it tells us. And it requires too, of course, that we are led by the Spirit and not by our carnal flesh. Because it's when we get led by our carnal minds, our fleshly desires, and things like that, that we get off track with the Lord. It's when we try to make things happen on our own. When we say, I don't understand the circumstances of my life, I don't understand this, that, or the other thing, but I'm changing it. Rather than saying, Lord, what is your will for me in this situation? You know, I actually had that circumstance in my life. I was rear-ended on um, Thursday, sitting at a red light. Didn't even see the guy coming. Boom, he hit me. Um... But as soon as it happened, and I thought back afterwards, why did I say that? Well, I was like, oh, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's what came out of my mind when I was hit. So I got out of the car, went back, I'm checking the car and talked to the guy. We're sitting at the red, the light's still red. I said, hey, let's just pull over here and it's Toys R Us. So we pulled over there and it turned into a ministry opportunity, turned into him asking biblical questions about his life and things like that. So I left there kind of happy, like, you know, joyous that this happened, like, wow, thank you, Lord, thank you for letting me get rear-ended, that I could serve you in this guy's life, you know, and that's kind of what walking by faith is, because that situation can turn into a lot of other things, right, it's like, oh, my car, oh, my this, oh, my that, There There was nothing wrong with my car, somehow or another, and his bumper was messed up, but mine wasn't. But anyway, it can turn into something else and we can take the circumstances of life and turn them into anything we want to or we can yield to the Spirit and we can train ourselves to be that way by focusing on the Word and continuing to walk by faith so that when the circumstances or the storms of life come and they hit, we don't react in the flesh. Instead, we say, Lord, what are you doing? What do you want to do in in this situation. And for you and me today, we have the word of the Lord to keep us on track, right? To keep us in the will of God, to know what his will is, we have the word of God. So we must be diligent to study the word of the Lord so that we don't fall victim to the ways of our flesh or the ways of this world. Because that can happen to any one of us at any time. None of us are above that. None of us are above falling. None of us are above tripping up, doing the wrong things. Not one of us, right? So let's read on, verse four. So he went into Hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. So all of a sudden it seems that Hagar, in her mind, maybe she's more than a woman, more of a woman than Sarai is, right? Sarai now knows that it was indeed her, That was the problem, right? Not Abram. At least that's what appears to be the case here because Hagar was able to get pregnant. So Sarai is discouraged. Well, it must be me, right? But this is not really the problem. We will find that Sarai, again, like I said, will indeed have a child herself. She was not the problem after all. It wasn't a physical thing with her, The problem here was that she was impatient and she had an idea that was from her own impatient mind. So there really was not a problem in regards to childbearing, but there's a problem now (laughs) that they're going to face. There's a problem with this situation now. But the problem too was there was the lack of faith to not continue on the course of saying this is what God has promised and this is what God will do. Verse five, then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So wow, the man's always to blame, right? (laughs) Wasn't this her idea? But you know what? I do believe that Abram was to blame because he is the one to whom God had spoke and is speaking to in all of this. And he knew the promise of God. But in fairness to Abram, up until this point in time that we're reading about here, Abram had not been told by God who would bear the child. It's not till chapter 18 where we'll see that Abram is told by the Lord that Sarah will bear him a son. So why then would I say that Abram is to blame? Isn't it a good enough excuse that the fine details were never given to Abram and he didn't know and and maybe Hagar was going to be the one that was going to bear the child of promise? But I think that's a a cop-out. Sarai was his wife, right? His only wife. He should have stood in his integrity. He should have said to Sarai, God has given me a promise of a child. You are my wife. You're not the only old one here, Sarai. This is hard for me too. You know, I'm an old man too, right? But we must trust in God. And we must know that His will will be done in our lives just as it always has been done. This is is the kind of things that Abram could have, this is the way he could have dealt with this situation. Sarai was a, a wonderful woman of God, and she has gone the distance with Abram. All the moving around, right, totally leaving their homeland, all the ups and downs of life, right? Sarai was not the leader here, and God was speaking all of the instructions to Abram, not her. And she was just faithfully going along through this life with Abram. And again, there is a lesson to be learned in all of this as it pertains to our marriages today, a marriage between a man and a woman. The Bible makes it clear that the man is the one who is to take the leadership role in the marriage from a spiritual standpoint. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Let's mark this page and turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians. (coughs) Ephesians chapter 5. Or Ephesians chapter 5, you have 1 Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. And verse 22, so Ephesians 5, 22. It says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, pause right there, because I want to be sure that we stay on topic here this morning. We're studying Genesis chapter 16. And in that chapter, we've seen where Sarai makes a decision that she should not have made. She blames the consequences of that decision on her husband, Abram. And I'm pointing out to you that Sarai is right in doing that, that the blame is on Abram. So again, verse 22 that we just read says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, has not Sarai done this in the life of Abram? Is she not a great example of this? She has submitted to all that he has done. Like I said earlier, packing up and leaving their homeland. She willfully did that, right? And she remained by his side. When Abram came up with that Kakamimi story, that plan to tell Pharaoh that she was his sister, she willfully submitted to Abram. Do you know that the Apostle Peter spoke of Sarah in 1 Peter chapter 3 when he said that in former times the holy women who trusted in God were submissive to their own husbands? And he mentions that Sarah obeyed Abram, or Abraham, calling him Lord. So Sarah was a godly woman. Sure, she, she made a bad decision while discouraged in life, but it was Abram's responsibility to stop the whole thing, to stand up and to take the lead. Let's read on Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. So here we see that the husband clearly bears the responsibility in the marriage. It is compared here in this chapter to Christ and the church. Jesus did all that he could to take care of us, the church, and he still does. And the husband is to be the same for the wife. Verse 24, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So now, we see the wife's responsibility. That word subject that you see there in verse 24 is the Greek word hupotasso, and it means to subordinate, to submit to one's control. So a wife is to humbly do this in obedience to the word of God. And it is something that takes humility because as a person, the wife is every bit equal. In Christ, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, right? We're all one in Christ. But in the marriage, there's humility that takes place. And the wife humbly submits. And this is what we see as we look at the life of Sarai. This made her a godly woman. And this is why Peter, in his epistle, pointed out that she was a godly woman. And because she willingly submitted to the headship of Abram, he was the one responsible for the problem. So when she said, my wrong be on you, it was right that it was on him, right? Again, God was speaking to him through all of this as you read Genesis, not her, okay? Let's read on, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, as I read that verse, it it just made me think about how I've been walking with the Lord for 29 years, and all that I have received from Jesus Christ, all the love that I have received from him, I have not deserved. I've made bad decisions, but he has loved me just the same. He's never told me that I am inadequate. What I'm doing is comparing a husband and a wife here, right? Jesus being the head of the church, how he treats us. He's never told me that I'm inadequate, though often I am. He's never called me stupid and told me that I've failed him. He's never harmed me in any way, shape or form or blamed me for the problems that exist around me. He's only loved me as I've walked with Christ. When he's corrected me, He's done so in love. And this is the way a husband is to treat a wife. This is what we see from the scriptures. This is the way the husband is to treat the wife. Right Then verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So you see, Paul is comparing here Christ, how he leads the church, to a husband and how he should lead the wife. The two become one. But in that oneness, there is an order that God has established a headship, a lordship, right? And that is that Christ is the head of the man and the man is the head of the woman in the marriage. We're talking about spiritual things here, right? Keep that in mind. Because the world gets all in an uproar and all kind of women out there say, "Ah, oh, the Bible's full of hatred. But if you just know that this is love, we're talking about spiritual things here. We're not talking about a woman can't be president. We're not talking about a woman can't be a manager or anything like that. We're talking about spiritual things here. And we're talking about God's order within a home, God's order within a marriage. And the word of the Lord here uses the example of a husband and wife to explain the love of Christ. And it uses the love of Christ to explain the relationship between a husband and a wife. In our day and age, Marriage in in too many cases is all whacked out. Wives today want an equal role with the husband in the marriage and it is a cause for chaos. Husbands want to be passive rather than lead and that can be a cause for great discouragement in a wife in a godly woman. Because when it comes to being uh, the spiritual leader in a household, the husband is the responsible party in the eyes of God. Just like Jesus Christ has sanctified us and washed us in his word, as we've read here, husbands are to love their wives in that way. So again, Abram was indeed to blame for the problem that now existed between him and his wife and her maid. Abram did not take the lead, but instead he became passive. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Abram going off and winning a battle to get his nephew Lot out of captivity, right? See, he was man enough for that, but he couldn't control his own home in this sense. And this ought not be the case today. Today, men like to think they're a tough guy in the eyes of the world, right? But that's why homes fall apart, because they care more about the world and they care more about the things of the world and how they look and how they appear to other people around them rather than being a leader in their own home. And a real man leads his home, and he is an example of the greatest man that ever lived, Jesus Christ. And as we look back now at Genesis chapter 16 with all of that in mind, right? With all of that in mind, Look back at verse two. What if when Sarai, Genesis 16, two, what if when Sarai had said, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. What if when she said this, she was really saying, do you still love me, Abram, even though I haven't given you any children? What if she was saying, reassure me, Abram, of the promise of our God? What again did he say, Abram? What is it that God has told us? What if Sarai really just wanted to hear Abram say, I love you. You are my one and only. Our God has brought us this far together, and his will will be done through the both of us. You have stuck with me, and I'm sticking with you. We don't need to make something happen in the flesh. We just need to wait on the Lord. He has closed up your womb for now, Sarah, but he will perform his promise. So we must continue to wait on him. You see, those would be the words of a godly man who takes spiritual leadership in his home and stands up and says, this is what God has said. And this is what he will perform. And I know you're discouraged. And I know you're down, but let's keep the faith. Let's keep trusting in the Lord. And for the married men of God here today who are listening over the internet, you must keep in mind that the scriptures in 1 Peter 3, 7 tell us that, that as it pertains to our wives, that we should dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. It's that important. We can have our prayers hindered if we're not leading our wives and dwelling with them with understanding and giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Sarai was very weak in this situation, but Abraham shouldn't have been. He should have stood up. So it's pretty powerful. And I would encourage you to take some time, married men, to meditate on 1 Peter chapter 3. In the eyes of God, the role of a husband is filled with responsibility. And the blame comes back to you, even as it did to Adam in the Garden of Eden. So the married women in Christ, right, or those of you someday to be married to the women, I would exhort you to be godly as Sarai was godly, to be submissive to your own husband through thick and thin. And to the married men in Christ, I would exhort you today to take the lead, to not be passive, to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Seek the Lord, listen to God as he speaks to you in his word. Wash your wife in the word, reassure her of his word. This is the kind of home that God intends for married couples to have. And both parties must be submissive to the Lord through it all. The woman willing to be who God says she is to be. Not who the world says she is to be, but who the Word says she is to be. And the man willing to be whom God says he is to be as well. Now, I would like to leave you all with that message today, but we'll go ahead and finish out the chapter, Genesis chapter 16, and we'll pick it up in verse six. But before I move on, that's kind of the meat of this whole message today. And I pray that you'll take time to think on that. But as we go on in verse six, so Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand, do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled From her presence. So, in a sense, it seems that maybe Abram passes the buck here. It seems he's still maybe unrepentant of his passivity. But on the other hand, we once again see this godly woman, Sarai, continuing to submit to the words of her husband. Again, it was the passivity of Abram that led to this problem in the first place. And passivity is not a good quality in a man of God. Not when it pertains to taking a leadership role in the marriage, not when it pertains to being a spiritual leader. We're not to be passive. Okay, there's so much to learn in this chapter today. For one, we learn that God doesn't need our help to fulfill His will. Our intervention in God's will is not necessary. When we wait upon the Lord, we will run and and not grow weary the Bible says, we will walk and not faint. But when we act in passivity or in discouragement, as we see with Abram and Sarah, and we're led by the flesh, then some weariness enters our lives. Some problems will enter our lives, right? And fleshly decisions bring about much pain in our lives. This situation will bring a wedge between Abram and Sarai. We will see as we go on in Genesis that Abram loved Ishmael, his son, the one born of Hagar. But Sarah felt completely different about the whole situation and about Ishmael and Hagar. She will later instruct Abram to kick Hagar out and Ishmael out. And the Lord will tell Abram to listen to Sarah and do what she says and kick them out. You can find that in Genesis chapter 21. We'll get there. But but nonetheless, God is still a God of love. And He will not despise Hagar or her son. And here in Genesis chapter 16, after Hagar flees from Sarai, verse 7 then says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, Where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself unto her hand. So you see, God still has a plan. His ultimate plan is a plan of redemption. Redemption. A plan to offer salvation to the whole world. That's what we must understand as we study these stories, that we have a whole Bible in front of us, and the whole plan of the whole Bible is to get to Jesus Christ, and the whole plan is the redemption of mankind. But there's so there's a long story ahead of us as it pertains to all that. But God is not going to cast Hagar away here and the baby that's in her womb. He'll make sure that Abram will fulfill his responsibility in the lives of Hagar and his son, Ishmael. Another part to being a man of God is that your mistakes can't be swept under the rug. You must man up and take care of what belongs to you and show integrity as you walk through this life. And God in his love and compassion will now comfort Hagar. And verse 10 says, then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude, so this is a very similar promise when you think about this it 's the very very similar promise that God made to Abram regarding the promised child, Isaac. Ishmael was not the promised child, and we will find that that it will be Isaac that was the promised child, right, but God is love, and in his love he takes care of Hagar and promises her that she will be okay and that a great multitude of people will come from Ishmael as well. This is God's way of comforting her in this situation. Verse 11, and the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. You see, when you think about it, what did Hagar do wrong? Right? She was a, a slave girl. She was simply obedient to those that were over her. And again, God will never cast away the downtrodden. And his plan for mankind is greater than we can ever imagine. Yes, God has a plan that we'll read about through Genesis here and through the whole Bible. But he doesn't cast anyone away. He reaches out in love to all. And then here in verse 12, we'll get a description of what Ishmael will be like. It says, he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Now, who is going to be his brethren? Well, when he was about 13 years old, he will get a little brother named Isaac. And a great multitude of people will descend from Isaac as well. Ishmael's people will be a large part of the Arab people and Isaac's people will be the Jews. And they will dwell together in the land that from that time back then all the way up until our present day, they're still dwelling together in that land. Ishmael's descendants are the wild ones with their hands against the Jews and all the other people for that matter. And the Jews will always be against them as well. It's a never-ending battle. How many presidents have come and gone in the United States trying to make peace in the Middle East, right? But the battle continues. The war rages on. It started way back then. Way back what we're reading about now. But Hagar is encouraged though to know that she will make it through this tough time. And verse 13 continues and says, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? So Hagar understood that this was the Lord God that was comforting her, the God who sees. And we all can take comfort in this as well. When the circumstances of life hit us hard and we feel alone in this world, as Hagar did, again, if you can put yourself in her shoes. She was taken out of Egypt as a slave girl, taken somewhere else and going through all this. And now she's out in the wilderness. What she must be feeling, right? But there is a God who sees. There's a God who sees every circumstance of our lives and everything that we go through. There is a God of compassion that looks upon our affliction and promises that He will take care of us. Now, this does not mean that life will always be good for us or good to us, right? You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. There's no smooth sailing promise in this life, but there is a God who sees. A God that sees us and has compassion on us. You know, today there are single mothers, pregnant women that have been cast aside by some jerk that entered their life, right? Do you think that God doesn't care about them? Do you think that God doesn't have compassion for them or for the children born unto them? Abram indeed will man up and will take care of Ishmael, but many cowardly fools today abandon their children and their children's mother and we as the body of Christ on the earth today we need to be mindful that we know the God who sees the God who sees all he sees the afflicted right he sees the castaways he sees the abandoned children and their mothers and we are his representatives on the earth today and we are to take his comfort to this world, right? It's just another opportunity for us to love, an opportunity for us to live out our faith, an opportunity for us to care about what God cares about, to see what God sees and do something about it. So Hagar meets the Lord in this place. Hagar is the first woman that encounters the Lord at a well, right? We'll find in John chapter 4, or you can read about it in John chapter 4, that there's a another woman that encountered the Lord at a well and she was, had a lot of problems in her life and had a lot of waywardness about her, but the Lord saw her too. But verse 14 continues, Therefore the well was called Be'er La'a, La'hai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So, again, so much to learn in these chapters, so much to see, right? And I pray that we will all make the necessary changes to live a life of obedience to what we learn from the scriptures. Again, sometimes we study the scriptures like this, and He calls us out upon the waters to the great unknown, right where feet may fail, where we where we may say, I, I fall short. I can't make it. I can't do that. This situation's too great for me. It's too much for me. But God is the God who sees. And a God is a God of love and a God who cares and a God who is there for us. And as we read and study all of this, we must take that step of faith to say, I'm going to live in accordance with how this God, our God, the only God, wants us to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just once again thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word, Lord. Thank you that your presence is amongst us and within us. That is your Holy Spirit that teaches us and counsels us and leads and guides us through this life, Lord. It is no mistake, it is no coincidence that we are here today, that we come upon this chapter in your word, Lord, because you have a plan and a purpose for each and every day of our lives, Lord. And I just pray that as you continue to work in our hearts and minds, that we will be renewed in the spirit of our minds, Lord, that we would, as Romans 12 1 says, Lord, that we would not be conformed to this world but that we would rather be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Lord, it is your word that renews our minds. It is your word that gives us the course on which we are to walk, the path which we are to take. So I pray, Lord, that we will all live in obedience to that. Pray your will to be done in the coming week. Your will to be done in our lives as individuals. Your will to be done in our marriages, in our homes, in our children's lives. We just give you all the praise and the glory for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.